greatest leader is not necessarily the one who does the greatest things. He is the one who gets the people to do the greatest things. That is a quote by Ronald Reagan. Welcome to Trina Talk. This is the podcast where guests share their stories of pursuing their passions, living a fulfilled life, and empowering others. Each week, I talk with inspiring leaders, business owners, and people with amazing stories from around the world in unscripted conversations as they share their successes and failures. This podcast is all about empowering you to keep striving in your personal and professional life. I am your host, Trina L. Martin. If you've been watching the news these days, you will see that cyber attacks are on the rise and some of the biggest companies are being taken over by hackers. If you are a small or medium-sized business, you cannot afford to not operate securely. With Trina L. Martin Technology Consulting, we will help you use secure communication technologies so that you can communicate securely with your clients, customers, and employees while maintaining productivity and profitability. If you're ready to elevate your business operations, please reach out to me at nextlevel at trinalmartin.com. Welcome to episode 139. The topic of this week's episode is the upside of failure. My guest this week is Tiana Sanchez. Tiana is an Amazon number one best-selling author and the CEO of an organization, training, and development firm in South California. For over 17 years, she has served innovative companies across the U.S. and has delivered keynote presentations to top leaders in corporate and higher education. Since 2012, she has delivered engaging presentations on topics like the upside of failure, the failure of lead hership to largely diverse audiences across the U.S. with a core message on resiliency and equality. Tiana was the recipient of the 2018 Women of Distinction Award for promoting equality for women and girls everywhere. In her spare time, she is the curator and host of the global podcast, Like a Real Boss, that has inspired listeners in over 70 countries. Good morning, Tiana. Welcome to Trina Talk. Thank you for having me. Good morning. You know, I am so glad that you took time out of your busy day to be with me. Um, I'm excited to talk with you because you are a woman who is doing some amazing things. You're an author. You're a podcast host. You do leadership coaching. Usually how I start out is I always ask my guests um, who you are and what made you become the Tiana that you are today. Well, I'm not sure how much time we have, but I'll keep it brief. And when I kind of share a little bit of my story. So I am an ex-hot dogger turned CEO. And your listeners might be like, well, what in the world is she talking about when she says hot dogger? So at uh, 16 years old, I used to work for a gourmet fast food restaurant, which is extremely popular on in Southern California. And it's called Hot Dog on a Stick. 
And it was a place where I really learned how to become a manager, where my first opportunity given to me was a manager at the age of 17 years old, where I was still in high school. I was graduating maybe a couple, a few months later after I was promoted to a manager. And that really was the catalyst that kind of led all of the, the steps. Those were the, the breadcrumbs that kind of led me to where I am today. I, I worked at an organization that I learned about culture. I learned about women empowerment because my bosses were, were women. My boss's boss was a woman. And then I went on to work at other organizations and then landed in 2007 in the financial industry, Trina. And then we know what happened kind of a few years after that, where we had the financial crisis and the housing market collapse and all of that. And I was stuck right in the middle working at a bank. And in 2011, I was given the notice that we all kind of dread, which is, you know, we're letting you go. And I had never been let go from a job. I'd always worked since the age of 16. And I wasn't really sure what to do and how to take that information. But I remember walking out of the office items in hand, you know, kind of the picture of grabbing your boxes and you're walking out of the office. It wasn't as dramatic as that, but it was me leaving a place that I had worked at for a few years, leaving kind of an old past. I didn't know I was just kind of leaving the old Tiana behind. And 90 days later, I started what is now known as Tiana Sanchez International. We're an organizational training and development firm in Southern California. We're a certified women-owned business. And this year, Trina, we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary. So that is a small part of introducing, you know, me and sharing a little bit about my story. Wow, that is very interesting. Now, you started this journey of leadership at 17. You went into the financial industry and now you're a CEO. So tell the listeners how that journey to CEO went, because like you said, you were given that notice of, okay, we have to let you go. What was your mindset? How did you go about saying, okay, this is how I'm going to reinvent myself? Well, first, I had never thought ever about owning my own business. That was never a thought. I didn't come from a family that, um, you know, started businesses or was very entrepreneurial. I came from a two-parent household. Mom and dad worked. Dad worked pr pr primarily um, blue-collar worker as a machinist. Mom worked at home, but then took administrative, secretarial jobs. So the idea of, of starting a business never really entered my mind. So I don't know what kind of boldness was planted in me from my ancestors, but <laughs> it served its purpose. Um, so it wasn't part of the plan initially. But I will say, if we backed up the a year prior to 2011, so 2011 was when I received the notice, we're letting you go. But it was in 2010 that I started getting this little, this little nudge of something else. I don't know where it came from exactly. I think partly due to the environment that I was in, you know, sometimes um, I think divine intervention will, will happen. And it was very toxic, the work environment that I was in. There was just a lot of different things going on. And I started investigating other career opportunities. Like I didn't really know what I was looking for, but I just kind of was toggling around on Google, on the Google and was looking through different things. And I started this, this idea of coaching kind of kept coming up on my screen and, and, 
it was kind of at a time where coaching was fairly new. I mean, coaching in itself is not new, but the idea of having a career around coaching was still somewhat new. And I started looking at these avenues, career coaching and life coaching and It was interesting to me. So then a year later, 2011, get the notice, get laid off. 90 days later, I started a coaching practice and it it was professional coaching services was the original name of the business in 2011. And it was based upon all of my years of experience. I had thought about what did I do and what did I do well for the majority of my career? So you may have listeners that are thinking, you know, well, when do I, how do I know if I'm ready to start um, a new career path? And it was really pulling from places that I had felt accomplished, that I had done well and had and had done it before. It was demonstrated skill. It was a competency. And so I had started at the age of 17 and I had always managed. I had always hired and trained and coached. And I loved that. And I said, oh, well, Remember that little coaching I was looking at a year ago? Huh, that, that could be the way. And that is, is what started it. And started the coaching business and not having any clue on how to really get into the business. I learned through trial and error, through mentors, through diving. Every webinar, every class I can get my hands on, I attended, became certified through an accelerated coaching program. And that was again the the beginning part, but it was never a thought. I never, it was never I, a dream. I wanted to own my own business at all. Wow. You know, it's amazing how life works things out for us, right? Everything happens for a reason. Yes. And you, you were saying how you weren't thinking about it, but you were exploring some different things. And then a year later, you know, your life took the turn that it did to bring you to where you are now. So everything happens for a reason. And and that's what I think we all should look at our lives and not think of, oh, this is such a bad time or I'm a failure, but it's going to work out somehow for our good. Now, with you taking that path, and I'm pretty sure in your career from 17 to now, you have seen good leadership and poor leadership. Tell me, some of the things you have seen in leadership and what you coach on to produce better leaders? Great question. And I, you mentioned a a key word in my, in my business, kind of in my DNA, which is the word failure. And I hope we can circle back to that particular word, but the leadership, let's, let's get on your, your, your question of leadership. So again, at 17, I'd only had one other job and it was a shoe store job, had a good boss, no, no complaints there at all. Um, my only other second job was this gourmet fast food res- uh, uh, restaurant. And I ended up working there for almost eight years. So when you think about this was my only other, my second job, I don't think I've ever worked at any other place other than my business for that length of time. So I was planted there. I learned so much. So they really shaped what I understood leadership to be, it set the tone for what I expected. And I'll describe what I expected. In leadership at that age, what I what I what I expected was there are female leaders. So in the company that I worked for, about 80 to 90 percent female employees. Like I said, my boss was a female, my boss's boss and the CEO of the company was a female. So in my seven years, almost eight years of working at this company, that's what I saw. So for me, in any other other career, job, 
ever I ever had, I expected, oh, there's going to be women leaders. There's going to be female leaders because that was what I saw. And I was also one I was managing. I also understood um, it was a family owned business. And so there was this relational type of leadership weaved throughout the culture. So one of the things that we're seeing now today is this, you know, kind of relational versus transactional type of leadership, you know, transactional meaning Trina, very task driven, very, uh, you know, let's say numbers driven budget managing task processes, and things of that nature, which we need. But then there's the relational side, which is building the rapport, um, building and establishing trust, focusing on human beings and not on human doings. And so there's this, you know, kind of this dichotomy between relational and transactional leaders. And so through this company, again, it's 17 years old, I was learning the importance of establishing this relationship with employees and not seeing employees as numbers, as units, as output, but really as people. And that would be something I would say that throughout my career, I've had to continue to evolve in and learn and grow. So in leadership today, what I'm seeing across the board are a couple of things. So we have leaders that when, when I look at leadership in terms of traits and, and what are some really key characteristics, transparency is definitely top of my list. I think there's cautious transparency. I think that people feel jaded. They feel dismissed and ignored when when information is not shared with them. Um, so I think that's that's one. I think, again, that that relational type of leadership is also important. But here's a third one that I've been really diving into. And our firm last year, Trina, published um, an ebook on the subject, and it's called Conscious Leadership. And the idea of conscious leadership is not only being intentional and, and, and being um, strategic in your approach, but it's having this awareness about what is going on in your organization, but also related to equitable practices. So there's this awakening, and actually the white paper is called The Awakening, The Rise of the Conscious Leader. It's it's understanding that your role as a leader is to ensure that there are equitable practices that we are making, that we're not just having discrimination, anti-discrimination policies, but that we're actually promoting equity. There's two different things. So there's this other idea of conscious leadership that I'm really focusing on to help leaders within organizations get on center stage to really take action toward this and not just check the box and not just go through the motions, but really be accountable for their role as leaders. Mm, I love that. I And, and, and we're going to delve into that because I'm really loving what you're saying about being a conscious leader because I have worked for some major corporations and just like you, I'm doing uh, leadership coaching because there were things in my life that I saw that I didn't like and being in the military, but being a, a conscious leader that I love that title or name, however want to phrase it, because so many times, like you were saying, people are hired and boss looks at them for just checking the boxes. Oh, they fit this seat. Um, they fit this criteria, but they're not really being conscious in their leadership as far as developing that person. And that's something that I see is really lacking. And 
just tell me how you go about helping your clients and letting them see the difference between, like you said, the relational, the transactional, and the the conscious leader. Yes. So the 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 mo- the method that we use and everything that I use, I usually will assess kind of an, a a leader's uh, effectiveness as a leader. But let me go back to define a little bit about conscious leadership because our belief is that the future of our workforce rests on the perspective and action of its leaders, who they are and what they do and how they lead matters. And so it's not that conscious leaders magically appear. It's that they rise. So there's leaders, there's people in leadership roles today that are evolving, that are rising up to the occasion to learn, to train, to learn again, to teach. Um, and these leaders are, 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 are fighting back, are fighting against resistance. They're promoting equity they're increasing opportunity and they're optimizing human capital. And they're doing all of this while advancing the bottom line. So it's it's important to know that even someone might be listening like, well, oh, I don't know if I fall in the category of a conscious leader, but it's something that you can evolve and, and, and rise to. So what we do and what I do, the approach that I take with individuals when we when I decide whether it's coaching or whether it's leadership training and development, because all of them are forms of development, is I'll go through an assessment because I believe data is key. Like data is life. Data is mm-hmm. is the blood and the life of everything. Like it's one thing to say, I think this person could use development in this area, whether than I know based on this information that I've acquired. So we use a ton of different types of assessments. And so I'm not going to select, I'm not going to say this assessment is better than that one because I think there's several phenomenal assessments. So we go through, I invite the participant or participants to take an assessment. It provides us intel and information into their strengths and their opportunities as leaders. I also ask them even either before or after the assessment, just kind of generally, what are some of the areas that they think um, that they could improve upon. I ask them to describe for me their work environment. Kind of tell me what's your, what are some of the challenges that you're experiencing today? Um, what are some of those things that um, are, you're really struggling with that you have a desire to do, but you really just quite frankly don't know how to do it. You don't know how to get started. And then sometimes if feasible, I'll ask if they're open to having me speak to some of their staff. Now that can be a little interesting. So <laughs> depending on the assessment, which if, if anyone's heard of the 360 assessment, we can gather that information just by doing a 360 because it will ask subordinates, peers, and also um, the individual's supervisor. So that also give, gives us information. And then I go over the results with the individual, usually in a couple of different sessions. And we just we talk through the results. I ask them questions around it, looking for real life examples of when this has occurred. And what I'm hoping that they have in that moment, Trina, is some aha moments, some, some revelation where they start to see, yes, this is this is how I see this showing up. This is how I can see how this might be perceived differently in a work environment. So there's usually this enlightening, you know, again, the light bulb kind of goes off in these sessions. And from there, that's when we determine what kind of goals we'd like to set. We don't start the coaching or the goal setting or or working toward anything until we fully understood where we are. Because we have to understand where we are so we know where we're going and then how we're going 
to get there. So that's been the process that that has worked for me. And I will say just in the last 12 months, Trina, the, the number of coaching clients that I've taken on under the leadership development has tripled. And it is, it's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. I don't know if it's because people are home remotely and they can coach and they feel like they have more time to participate in coaching, but it has tripled in the last 12 months. You know, and that's amazing. As you say that, I'm thinking, do you think your clientele has tripled because of the pandemic and people being at home and people having to lead differently and things have been coming to light as far as just the whole um, way of the world now, well, at least the United States as we're seeing as far as the inclusion and the diversity that is really now a, a thing. Do you think that's why? I absolutely do. It's a part of it. Now, where and why and how that has sparked this uptick, I don't know. But I definitely think that that has that the pandemic and being at home has attributed to the increase. I just don't know kind of what, you know, what area. But if I were, you know, if I were to make a calculated guess, I would say to your point that people are being put in unique situations. They are being challenged in unbelievable ways. I was having a conversation with someone recently and they were uh, talking about how they believe the pandemic had sparked some new challenges, some unbelievable challenges within their um, within their management team. And while I agree with that, I said, yes. I said, sometimes though, I think chaos reveals things. It it kind of awakens things. It may not create things, but it may reveal something that's already there because it's been concealed by comfortable work environments. It's been concealed by, you know, we we kind of operate sometimes on the surface. We tiptoe around issues. We we smile at our colleagues and we're like, okay, I only got to see you for six hours, seven hours, and I get to go home. Now we're on Zoom, meeting after meeting after meeting. We're in these tight, you know, spaces, even though it's not in person. And it's creating all of these interesting dynamics, I think. So I do feel that, um, people are experiencing these, again, unique situations because I don't think the budget, budgets have changed because usually that will be the first thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I'm not sure if we have a budget for this because as a facilitator and a trainer, that is always like the line item for professional development is always the first line to get cut. It's always, I don't know if we have a budget for this. And I'm like, you do realize that your assets are your number one people. And if you don't have a budget for this, you really shouldn't have a budget for anything else. But I digress. So <laughs> when 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 we talk about the the, the uptick, it, it hasn't it isn't because they just randomly got some more money. If anything, they've lost money, right? The last 12 months. So I think organizations, leaders, HR leaders are realizing our people are really struggling, mental health, all of these different things. Mm-hmm. And if there's a way that we can help them. Um, whether it's through coaching or training or mental health programs or what have you, we're willing to do that. In fact, we must do that. And that I'm, I'm happy about. Mm, yeah, I totally agree. Um, let's circle back now to failure. You said you wanted to circle back about that. And let's talk about that and however you want to go with it. But I usually like to ask people in their journey, what have been their failures? Because a lot of times we we like to live our best life, right? We want to tell everyone about our successes, but to get to that success, 
you have to have failed and how do you overcome that failure and decide that, okay, this was just a failure at this moment. This doesn't define or destroy me. Talk about that. Right. And I'll actually use, I'll segue from what we were just discussing with the pandemic and then segue into how I use this failure, repurpose the word, if you will, in in business and kind of um, self-development, personal um, uh, health type of way. So a lot of companies, again, we, we recognize have had a really, really rough, tough year to where they've had to close their doors. I have a good friend of mine and her husband started a beautiful uh, cafe shop called South LA Cafe in uh, California, like early I want to say January 2020 or late 2019, thriving. They're doing great. I had known her and her husband for um, several years. And so they were excited. I mean, it was really in the heart of Los Angeles. A lot of people were, you know, questioning whether or not, hey, is this going to work here? And they were like, against all odds, beautiful location inside and out. A few months later, pandemic hit, right? And it was just instant change. And they were concerned that they were going to have to close their doors. Fortunately, the community rallied around them and they've been able to stay open. They actually been on the Ellen show. They've been raising awareness in the community. They do all these phenomenal things. But I bring that up for this reason, because in that moment when pandemic hit and, and pandemic for you could be any unexpected life event, life-changing event that you did not have planned out, right? You had a goal mm-hmm. in mind. We entered 2020 like, hey, hashtag vision 2020, right? We were all <laughs> live and lit and excited. And then all of a sudden it was like, the brakes hit, what's going on? And so any kind of unexpected event, life event thing that happens where you didn't expect it, it did not go the way you anticipated. I look at that as an as an experience of a failure. And for me, I define failure different. I like it's a, so if you have a goal in mind, in, in the plan in place, it did not happen the way you intended it to happen in that way, that could be defined as experiencing a failure. It did it failed to happen the way that I intended it, right? That's one definition that I use. So in that example, in that moment, we have to ask ourselves some questions. It's like, why did I experience this particular failure? Was it something that I did? Was it a lack of action or inaction, distraction, or lack of direction? Those are the three kind of caveats. A lack of inaction, something I was supposed to do that I didn't. Distraction, there was something that took my focus away and I got caught up in something. Or a lack of direction. Well, I'm here and I don't know what to do. And I think it's that third kind of area that a lot of us found ourselves in with this last year of the pandemic. It's like, I'm here and it wasn't my fault, but I don't know what to do. And I don't know where to go from here. And I'm very intentional, Trina, about using the word experience, because like you said, it's not a place of permanency. Permanency. Experience, if we can think about it, right? And experience is what? It's something that ebbs and flows. It comes and goes. Mm-hmm. It's not permanent, right? So I like to use the word experience. But when you say have, I have failed. You're now taking possession of something. You're now owning something. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to own failure. I don't want to possess failure. Like that's not mine. 
I don't want to keep that. So I'm very intentional about using that word experience to the point where even if I, let's say my head hurts, you will never hear Tiana say, I have a headache. I'll say I'm experiencing a headache because in my mind, that headache mm-hmm. is going to go away and it's not permanent. It's not mine. So I'm very careful on the words. So when you go through and ask yourself those three questions, when you experience a failure, is it a lack of inaction, distraction, or lack of direction? Then it then it really dictates the path forward. And so for this, and I'm using the example of my friend because they're just a phenomenal um, couple and I love what they're doing. You know, let's say it was the third lack of direction. I really don't know what I'm supposed to do um, and where I'm where I'm to go from here. You know, let's say, well, then you kind of figure out what what would be some natural solutions. Then you can figure, well, how do I pick myself? Maybe we're not going to look like how I thought we were going to look like in the beginning. They were going to be a cafe. Now they're a hub for um, food giveaways. They they feed people within the community. They have mm-hmm. um, an outreach program that they do, I want to say twice a week. They are doing some incredible, amazing things that honestly, if the pandemic did not hit, would they be doing that? Maybe that was part of their plan. Maybe it wasn't, but it certainly accelerated the process and it is helping thousands upon thousands of people. So the failures that we experience in life, again, I believe are opportunities to teach us something. They teach us, they help us grow, and sometimes they can even motivate us if we let them. And I heard this, and I can't take credit for this, but I know someone said it somewhere. They said, failure is only failure if you fail to learn from it. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's, that is a great quote because it is. That's is all about how you handle it and what you think about it, like you said. And I love how you said you reframe your your talk. You're not saying, oh, I have failed. Oh, okay, I experienced failure with this thing here. That doesn't mean your life is over or you know, you're at a point that you can't recover. And the example that you gave of your friends and how, yeah, they wanted to be a cafe. Now they've changed to being of service in a different kind of way of feeding people, which is amazing. But I mean, and and in your book, you have your book, The Upside of Failure. Do you talk about some of those things in in your book? Go ahead and, and tell us more about that. Yes, I do, actually. And the book was what came out of and it's so funny because, you know, they say, you, you know, your mess will turn into your message. And I do truly believe that, you know, your test will be your testimony. And I think mm-hmm. everybody has a story. Everybody has a book. Everybody has something in them. And this was written at a time that was I was very still early in my business. You know, I had been maybe four five years in my coaching business, right? Remember I had started it in 2011 after being laid off in the financial industry. And, you know, when you start a business, you're not always thriving in the very beginning. You know, you know, you're not in the black, you're in the red, they say for the first Mm -hmm. years. And there were moments where I questioned whether or not this was the right decision, right? Um, And whether or not I should have gone this route to the point where after I started my business, I actually started applying to jobs again. I started like interviewing at banks. And I remember going into this one interview and sitting there across. And now I was the kind of person that could always ace an interview. Like I was just really, you know, sharp, polished. I felt good. Like I knew what because I used to interview people. I was a manager, too. So I Mm -hmm. knew. And I remember going to this interview and and the gentleman across from me was interviewing me and 
sitting there and I was answering the questions. I could hear myself answering the questions, but somehow I just, I didn't have any passion behind the, the responses. I was just kind of going through the motions and I was actually looking across the table and I could see this person's face. And I think he was feeling the same thing. And I remember walking out of that office. I said, no, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like there, there is no going back. Like I don't even want to, to go and work for someone else. And so that for me was just, just very eye-opening. So the book itself, again, was written at a time where I had just been a few years into the business and it was coming off of the heels, Trina, of my other book, which is called Undefeatable. Now that one's really (laughs) the journey through, again, being laid off, going through all these other things, almost facing foreclosure in our home, just kind of, it's a very kind of self-help, motivational, semi-biography part kind of book. And that was coming off of the heels of this book, because in that book, I talk about failure and loss. And I said, huh, I said, I think there's more to this word failure. And I remember my oldest son was in high school. He was 17 years. 17 is a very significant number, by the way, in my life, because <laughs> you hear that, you've heard that before. So he was 17 in high school. And I remember we were at a little cafe in um, California near our home. And I was talking about, about this concept of a new book that I wanted to do. And at the time he was in sports, he was playing basketball, he was in varsity teams captain. And I wanted to get his perspective because I really thought that young people would, would really benefit from understanding how not to feel defeated by the word failure, how not to, because, you know, the suicides were up and depression was up and all of these things. And my son being 17, I was very in tune with that. And I said, I want these young people just to know that when you fail or experience a failure, it's not the end of the world. And so I was sitting there talking to him and I actually, we kind of came up with the idea together and I invited him at 17 years old to write a chapter in the book. So part of that book has my son, in it. So he is a co-author of that book and he was published, let's say at 17 years old, and he writes the last chapter of that book. And it was written with the intent for young adults, college students, maybe, you know, young professionals. But when it released in February of 2016, it was well received by corporate executives by senior executives. And I was, it was the most requested topic that I got for Mm -hmm. leadership conferences for like those in leadership. So I actually had to pivot to, to reframe the the way that I presented this topic because it was for young adults initially to leaders. And it has really, I think, opened the door for organizations, for leaders, for, for, um, for people to really see the upside of when you experience a failure when there's a situation that you had planned in your mind, strategically mapped out, and it didn't go that way. What do you mm-hmm. now do, right? Inaction, distraction, or lack of direction. What is it now? What do I do and how do I move forward? So that has really shaped a lot of the programs that we've offered. We have programs on that. We have book, we have digital, we do teaching, we do workshops on this topic as well. And I would say even 2021, I actually was just recently invited to speak in it um, in this year. So it's still a topic that resonates with people all across the United States. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone can relate to that. Now, if someone is listening 
today out there. And, you know, they're saying, yeah, okay, that's easy for her to say, but I'm, I'm like hopeless. I don't know where to go from here. I've uh, lost my job. I don't have a thought of what I could do to start a business. Someone who just thinks that they're just at rock bottom. What would you say to them? Well, first I would say that this is for anybody. Let me let me say how what I've just shared is for you, that I am you probably in many ways. First, I've been unemployed, clearly, because I mentioned that. Number two, I've had situations. I've been divorced. I was married, separated, divorced, all by the time the age of 23 years old and had a child at that point. So there's been some interesting dynamics thrown my way. I'm also non-degreed, and I say non-degreed meaning I don't have a degree. And I mentioned that because I think there's so many people that get caught up. And I think, edu- let me let me just use a disclaimer that education is wonderful. There's different types of education. And whether you get a certificate mm-hmm. or whether you get a degree or you get an advanced degree is entirely up to you. That is your path. That is your decision. But I think there are other qualities and other characteristics and other type of learning and education that you can also get to support your journey. So when you, when I, if, if someone's listening and say, well, I don't know if that works for me and I'm here and I'm there. I've been homeless at a point. I've slept in my car. I've, again, like I said, faced foreclosure at one point, um, had been in an abusive relationship years ago. This is not a perfect story. And I don't think any of us have perfect stories. But if I, if you walk away from anything, know that you can do it. Will it look like Tiana's path? Probably not because you're different. You got a whole different situation going on, but there is a path forward for you. You just got to take it step by step, figure out first, what is it that I want to accomplish, right? Um, where am I right now, okay, in, in respect to getting what I want to accomplish and how am I going to get there? And sometimes it's the how where you recognize that I need to align myself with other people. No one gets anywhere by themselves, So if you've ever heard somebody say, oh, I did this all by myself, like call them on the carpet, ask for the receipts. No, (laughs) they didn't. Okay, so everyone has some kind of help. It's a mentor. It's a coach. It's a family member. It's a a professor. It's a pastor. It's someone or something that has helped them along the way. So you got to first find out where am I right now in my journey? Where do I want to where do I want to be? How close am I in getting there? How am I going to get there? Who do I need to support me in getting there? And once you can answer those kind of basic questions about yourself, then you're on your path. I do this exercise in my book, Trina. It's actually in the Undefeatable book, which is the first book. And I have the folks in the book. It's, it's like a workbook book, but it's, you know, they can draw on it and write in it. But I say, get a piece of paper. I say, draw a line down the middle. And on one side, I have blockers. I say, write blockers on the very top. And so if you're listening, you can do this too. On the other side, I say, write the word builders. Okay, so we have blockers on one, builders on other, and a line down the middle. So I always think, what is it like if someone is, they have a goal or they're looking to achieve something? I'm like, okay, well, what's blocking you from achieving that goal? Oh, I want to I want to start my own business. I want to go back to school. I want to, you know, work at a X, Y, and Z company. Okay. What are those things that are blocking you? And you'll find people will say different things, time, you know, you know, money, I got kids and I don't have a babysitter um, and very valid things. I'm not minimizing any of these, any of these things that typically block. And then I say, okay, well keep that list there. 
And then I want you to go to the other side. I want you to write the things. What are the builders? What are the things that you already have that can help you, that can, you know, move you toward achieving your goal? And then what we find is we start to see that it's not necessarily the the tangible things that they have, but it's the intangibles. Like, let's say they have, I have ambition. I have, um, you know, maybe it's a family member. Sometimes it is tangibles. Maybe I have a family member that can help, you know. Well, I have, you know, a grant that, you know, is going to allow me to go to school. I have a company currently that I work for that's going to pay my education, you know, educational reimbursement. Or, you know, I have the opportunity to take classes online. I don't have to go into school. Whatever those things that are builders that can actually help them. I ask them to write them down. And before you know it, you start to see the list will outgrow the the blocker list because in the beginning, the blocker list is very long, usually. And then, but as we start to see, there are so many different things that we don't even realize that we have at our fingertips, whether it's something online, whether it's a person, um, whether it's just something internal within us that we have that we don't always recognize. That exercise is, again, really, really enlightening and powerful. And I've done that at in workshops. And it's, it's really incredible to see kind of the, again, the aha moments, the light bulbs go off when people do that exercise. Oh yeah. Cause I'm pretty sure that makes them look at themselves and what they have in a way that they've never done it before. Right. And it does, it makes you say, Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't know I had this resource. I didn't know I could do it this way instead of that way. So that's something I really like that. And I, I like the fact that you make people put it on paper because it's just like they say, you know, you write it down and it's something with the writing and putting it on paper that make you just really tune in instead of just thinking it. That's right. hundred percent. Wow. You know, I love talking to you and we could talk about this forever, but we're <laughs> going to segue into our questions because I mean, I, I, I have so many more things, but we don't want to make this a two hour show. So we're going <laughs> to we're going to segue into our questions. Are you ready for them? Yes, I am. Fire away. OK, who or what motivates you? Ooh, I would say my children definitely motivate me. Yes, my children. I have two boys. I have an 11-year-old, soon to be 12, and I have a 22-year-old, soon to be 23. <laughs> wow. Yes. Wow. Okay. What demotivates you? Oh, gosh. What demotivates me is, that's a tough one, um, because I was actually going to point outward. I, what really because it's more of a frustration than a demotivation is when I'm working with clients and um, they take this posture of, I can't do it, you know, or not willing to try. Mm. It's not, I guess, a, a, a demotivation, but more of a frustration. I am, I really struggle with individuals who are unwilling to do what is necessary to see change, especially if they're seeking change. So that, you know, again, I, I'm trying to keep it more internal and not external, but that's that's how I'm <laughs> going to answer that question for now. <laughs> and you know what? And that's good. You can, whatever examples you have, that is great. Okay. Um, when was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked out for your good? Ooh, ooh. Oh gosh, there's two that I actually think of, but um, 
One was when I was launching my first book, Undefeatable. And no, excuse me, I was launching my second book, Effed Up, because the title Effed Up, people always reference it to the, you know, the curse word, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and, it, and it wasn't, it was just a play on words to describe failing up, Effed Up is failing up. And I remember mm-hmm. um, I had, I guess, an acquaintance at the time, um, I had uh, talked to him about this particular book, and it appeared that he was supporting me. And little did I know, though, on Facebook was bad mouthing me and the book and was basically saying this effed up book is this, that and the other. I mean, and he had a pretty decent following. And I was just floored and flabbergasted that in a public setting that this was going on. And immediately I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to write a cease and desist, cease and desist letter. I'm going <laughs> to, you know, talk to, you know, tell, I'm going to put it on my Facebook, right? It was all revenge and retaliation mindset. And then I had to take mm-hmm. a pause and step back. And I was like, huh? I was like, no, let me, that's why you never respond in, in midst of emotion or anger. Right. And I mm-hmm. said, no, I'm not going to do that. But I did decide to do it in a different way. I did post on my page, but I wrote a different response. It wasn't revenge or retaliation, but it was in a way that highlighted my drive and ambition and what I do and why I do what I do and why the work that I do is important. And and it was, and I changed my tune. And so I didn't go after him. I didn't follow him on his page and go right in there and comment and have this banter back and forth. I ignored it and went about my way. And then I, you know, again, just showed the receipts. Number one best-selling book on Amazon. I just kind of sent him that little <laughs> picture, slide it into his DM. And that was that. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Yeah. It's, it, it doesn't even, it's not worth your time to even respond to people when they do things like that. Right. I just let the receipts speak for themselves. That was it. <laughs> yes. What is your fear? Oh, so I'm going to go straight. People are probably going to think she's going to get deep on this one. It's not super deep. Um, anyone who knows me, and I hate to claim this, and I'm not going to claim it as my fear, because again, you know, I'm very intentional with my words, but I will say something that I don't enjoy that does bring me some concern <laughs> is, and I'm going to say this on, on air and I've said it before is flying. I do not enjoy <gasps> flying. So that's what I said to somebody like, it's going to be deep. No, I don't enjoy. Now, will I fly? I've flown to other countries. I've flown across the United States right before COVID. I was in Israel and was, had flown over there for, trip. but I just don't enjoy it. And I, and I have gr- big, big concerns. Like I have a whole mantra, whole thing that I do, Trina, before I get on a plane. Like I don't even, <laughs> I don't even eat for like two days before I have to fly. Um, I bring all of my worship music and my Bible and everything I can think. And it's just the oddest thing that, and so I've just, I've just really accepted that I'm probably never going to like it. I'm just not going to like it. Like I don't like peas. I'm just probably never going to like it. And that's okay, but I don't want to fear it. And so that's why I won't, I won't, claim that it's a fear, but it's something that I, that I'm working toward, um, adapting to. So that's how I'm going to say that. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? Yes, there are 
many of those, and I'm trying to think of what would be the most relevant. Um, there are times where I do wish that I would have stayed in school. So at the time that I was in college, because I did mention I'm non-degreed in the higher education realm, but I feel like I have a whole kind of classification degrees of just mm-hmm. life experience. But when I was in college, I was working at 17. Remember, now we go back to the beginning mm-hmm. of the show. And I was managing. I was making good money. And what do they tell you to go to college for? Go to college. To make make it, the money. Exactly. Get an education. Mm-hmm. Make Go so you can get a good job and make some good money. Well, at the time, at 17, 18, because I graduated, so 18 years old, 18, 19, I was already at a job that I thought was a good job, making good money. So I was like, well, I'm already doing what they tell you what you're supposed to do and what you're supposed to get out. So I had a decision to make and I was working full time and it was hard balancing full time school, managing, being a manager, I should say, because it wasn't just working. It was managing and working and then also going to school full time. And I made a decision to opt to work. And there have been moments throughout my career, Trina, especially after the recession and when I went and started my business. And then when I went to go start looking for a new job again, I think I mentioned that people were asking, oh, well, where'd you go to school? What's your degree? And never was a degree ever a hindrance. And now all of a sudden it was. And even now as a CEO, having my own business, serving um, a portfolio of over hundred million in assets of our clients across the United States and in other countries, people still will ask that question. And there's, there's, and sometimes for a while was always this little kind of uncomfortable response that I would get. There's always something there that was uneasy when I responded to that question. So it's actually not out of my mind. I think of it often, Trina, about perhaps pursuing some other type of education. So there are moments where I think, yeah, i that would have been a good decision to maybe continue or maybe not at that time, but maybe continue. And it's still actually a consideration. So we're not going to let that, we're not going to close the door on that just yet. Okay. Is there a time that you wish you had not done something? Um, is there a time I wish I had not done something? Um, I was in a relationship at 20, 21 years old, and it was a toxic relationship. And although like you, I believe things happen for a reason and we learn things. Again, failure is only failure if you fail to learn from. And I certainly learned from that relationship. But there were signs in that relationship that um, could have led me to different decisions you know, so again, I say this with caution because in that relationship birthed my firstborn and I would never regret anything about that. So um, just making better decisions as it relates to relationships that I've had, family relationships, friendship relationships, that would be, um, yeah, so how that's how I'll respond to that and kind of keep it general, less specific. But yes, I think your listeners will get the get the drift. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I get that too. Because that, yeah, I've been there. Um, yeah. <laughs> what is your definition of success? My definition of success is increment. Success is incremental, which means to me it happens in steps and stages and in milestones. If I have a goal of, you know, I want to 
um, lead a successful business? Well, that's not a one-time event. There are several steps and stages and milestones along that way. And each one of them is, is it should be celebrated as a success. You know, when I wake up in the morning and I could have slept in, or I could have said, you know what, I just, I'd give up today, but I woke up amidst everything, amidst depression, amidst frustration, amidst whatever, guess what? That was a success. And that's how I look at it. But I certainly key in on incremental because I think we get so caught up in success being a one-time event. Oh, when I get this accolade, I'm successful. When I reach this place, I'm successful. But I think it's it's incremental and it happens in steps and stages and milestones and that we should celebrate each one along the way. Mm. Now, with you being the busy woman that you are, how do you recharge? Ooh, girl, I recharge all the time. <laughs> I am very mindful of my mental health. I take naps. Yes, I did say naps. I go to bed at 8.30 every day. I'm a plant-based eater. I exercise. Um, I recharge by, I, I love to laugh. So I have my favorite shows. Believe it or not, my, my, my recharging is like taking a break and catching a show on Netflix or something or watching one of my little binge-worthy shows or taking a walk around my community, um, you know, watching a movie with some popcorn with my son and, or sometimes just sleeping, just rest. I think rest, work, repeat should be on everybody's, you know, list. You rest, you do some work, repeat, you just continue that and adding Mm -hmm. anything else in there. You know, I pray, I meditate, I protect my my time and my energy and my health and i am okay saying no that is not out of my vocabulary i know how to say it gracefully i know how to say it respectfully but i protect my my time and again my health and there are certain things that are non-negotiable for me and i've set clear boundaries and it's worked out for me mm, i love that answer what are you awesome at I'm awesome at developing others and listening and teaching. And I think that was started way back again when I was 17 and young. I just really loved, I love to teach. I love to to bring out the best in people, facilitate conversations, ask provocative questions. I love people feeling heard. And I feel that I'm, I feel that I'm, awesome at that. I'm going to use the word that you used. Awesome. And, um, yes, that is, that is my, that is my gift and I receive that gift and I operate in that and I love it. So what legacy do you want to leave? The legacy that I believe that I'm leaving today, um, is a legacy of, of, of drive of self, sufficiency of you can, you know, if you, I don't want to say if you put your mind into anything, you can accomplish it. But essentially that the two boys that I have today, whether they decide to keep the business going or not, I think they'll see this legacy as one of a a woman in pursuit of something greater, a woman who has touched thousands of people's lives through the written word, through literature, through through teaching, through training, through programs, and has had a great impact on, on people in a positive way. 
And I think that's a that's a that's a good leg legacy to have. And a woman who operates um, by faith, who has a strong um, uh, spiritual walk and faith walk, and they see that through and through. And I and and that's a and that's a good legacy um, for me. Yes, it is. Give the listeners one motivational takeaway. So one motivational takeaway is um, for me is that I'll, I'll say it and I'll relate it to failure is that um, failure is inevitable, um, but defeat is optional. And so if you feel like you are again experiencing a failure, that there is a way to come out of that. It's just not going down that that road of defeat will you, where you give up. So just knowing that failure is inevitable. It's going to happen. We're going to experience it. But defeat is optional. That's your choice. You actually have a choice in that. And so that's what I'll say. Tell the listeners how they can connect with you if they need you for training, speaking, and how they can get your book. Yes. Yeah, so Books. you can find, thank you, Trina. You can find everything on my website, which is, I'm going to say it twice, no limit to your success.com. That's N O limit, no limit. The number two, Y O U R success, no limit to your success.com. Or you could just type in Tiana Sanchez. There's really not a lot of Tiana Sanchez's out there. So you can find me easily. And on my page, you'll see programs, you'll see books, um, you'll see uh, the various things that we offer. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn as well. So thank you. Great. Well, Tiana, I really thank you for taking time out of your day to be on Trina Talk. It was very enlightening. I, I love what you're doing. And hopefully we can stay connected and maybe we can collaborate in the future. Would love that. Thank you for having me, Trina. And kudos to you for, for the work that you're doing on your talks. So thank you again for having me. I really enjoyed it. If you like Trina Talk podcast, please don't forget to go out to iTunes and rate it five stars and leave a review. Also, who else in your life do you know that needs some motivation and inspiration in their life? Don't forget to share Trina Talk with them. I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. Keep striving because success is a journey, not a destination.